dedications aren't a act of salvation. It doesn't save the child, but is a reminder for us as parents and as a church to continue to walk with our parents in that. So it's just a great reminder. My name is Pastor Nate. I really got to work on this. I don't know what's going on. I think it's an identity crisis. Forgetting my own name. Uh, pastor Nate is my name. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Knollwood Baptist Church. And it's, if you're visiting with us, welcome. We would like to still invite you to our newcomers lunch, which is after the service, because I did definitely see some people come in after announcements. You can sign up and still come and still come and enjoy that, where you get to come and talk to cool people like Pastor Matt. I actually did mean Pastor Matt this time, so. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Acts as we continue to worship our awesome God together. We'll be in Acts chapter 16. And as you turn there, uh, which is actually on page 539 of the blue Bible in the chair in front of you, if you don't have a Bible with you, I really would love it if you took that one home with you. And start reading in the, in the Gospel of John, which is kind of near the book of Acts, and just keep asking questions like, who am I, what am I learning about who God is? What am I learning about who I am? And what does this call me to do and to be? And talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about God's word and who God is. As you turn there, let me ask you a question. What do you do when something is not going the way you thought? Right? Like, that's a question that should be asked because I think all of us have experienced something in our lives that you're kind of like, that's not exactly how I planned it. Right? Imagine you are going for a job interview and, you know, you've, you've studied the position. Maybe you're one of those young, hip people that went on LinkedIn and you studied the position. Right? And you looked up on LinkedIn, you saw the job requirements, you studied, you've gone to school and whatever it may be, and you think you're prepared. And as you're driving there, you suddenly, I don't know, you hit traffic on the way. Well, there's one thing, because you know you should be early for a job interview, right? Just if you don't know that, now you do. That could answer some questions. You get late. Now you're all flustered and frazzled. And then you sit there across from the interviewer and, and maybe she starts asking you some questions and you're like, wait a second, these are none of the questions I've studied for. And, and you're trying your best and, you know, you, you thought this was a shoe and you thought for sure this job was going to be yours and maybe it was like your, your daddy's company or something like that. You thought it was so sure. And then you get that email because we all know the rejection doesn't come by phone call, it comes through a v email if not text message, and says, hey, you didn't get the job. So what do you do when things don't go the way that you planned? You know, in Acts 16, we see Paul being faithful to the mission, but he keeps hitting these barriers, these roadblocks. And Paul and his missionary team hit one barrier after another, and we see what it means to know if you're following God's will in our lives. So follow along with me in Acts chapter 16 as we continue to worship our God through the reading of his word. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. It says this, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. 
He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were, who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way they, uh, through the cities, they delivered to them uh, for observance a decision that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. In verse 6, And they went through the region of Ferfiga and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, uh, they attempted to go to Bethania, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made our direct voyage to Semitherace and following day to Nepalias and from that to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. He remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day, he, we went outside the gates to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theratiria, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Awesome God, as we continue to worship you, we have been worshiping you through the singing and the preaching and financially giving. And Lord, we continue to worship you through the listening and for me through the preaching of your word. So Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear and minds to understand what your word has to say today. And Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to speak of you and praise your name. And Lord, I can't do this on my own, so will you not make this turn out well? Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Please use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. In verses 1 to 5, we see all things for the mission. The team begins to grow. It goes from two people to three people. That's a pretty good statistic right there. But the team begins to grow as Paul and Silas go to strengthen the church with the letter that they had just received from Jerusalem. Maybe remember, we were talking about this with uh, Pastor Matt's sermon a couple weeks ago. And, and last week, we, we saw the decision by the Jerusalem church to make sure that the other churches knew that there was only, that you were saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not an act of man that can save you but purely by Christ's work, finished work on the cross. Now, in this letter, uh, they were also called to withhold from some things and to live in a life that has experienced the grace of God. A transformed life does show itself in your actions. 
But in verse 1, we see that Paul came to these two cities, and these were the cities that Paul and Barnabas, remember, Paul and Barnabas have now separated. The work of the Lord has not been hindered. It has actually been doubled. And, but Paul and Barnabas had been there spreading the message about Jesus about two or three years before. And we are seeing how the word of the Lord continues to increase as God uses the faithful witness of his people to grow his church. So Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, is what we're, who we're introduced to here. In 2 Timothy verses 1 to 5, uh, Paul says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, he says to Timothy. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. You know, I thank God, as, as I'm reminded of just looking at this, I thank God for a strong woman of faith who seek to teach their children well. What a great reminder today. This is an excellent example of the influence of Christian parents that we have on a on our children. Parents, it doesn't mean that your faith will necessarily become your child's, but we seek to raise our kids in a home that seeks to make much of Jesus. That's what it means to be faithful parents. And it also is a great benefit to our kids. But we see that his mother was a believer, but that his father was Greek. And under Jewish law, a person is considered to be Jewish if his or her mother is Jewish. But wives were also expected to submit to their husband's religion at that time. So there was probably a refusal for Timothy to be circumcised, which gets us into this issue that comes out. He is a Jew, but hasn't been circumcised, which is the sign of a Jewish person. But we see in verse 2 that he was well spoken of by the brothers and the sisters all around. He had a good reputation. And to have a good reputation, as we are reminded of, is also to be uh, qualified to be an elder, which will be important because Timothy ends up being an elder. But his transformed heart shows itself in his actions and how he is viewed by others. People could look at him and see, look, his faith is coming through in his life. And Paul was describing him as a fellow worker, a brother, a fellow bondservant, a beloved and faithful child in the Lord, a son, a co-equal in the Lord's work. He was part of Paul's inner circle. He loved him. He considered him as a son in the faith. And he can read all about their descriptive, uh, their, their relationship in First and Second Timothy. But here's the thing that happens. So here's the good guy. But then verse 3 comes along and says, and he took him and circumcised him. And this is the question that comes up, because didn't we just have this conversation like a verse ago? Yeah, we did. Why is Timothy getting circumcised if it means nothing to one's faith? Why is this happening? Didn't we just fight a battle over this? And here's a couple of things we need to remember. There's freedom for the Gentile Christians. But this doesn't mean that there was a closed door to Jewish Christians. The old traditions were okay to practice as long as they remain cultural and not something we do to get salvation. Okay? The second thing is that is this, that even in this act, they were putting the mission and others before themselves. They were seeking to be all things and to cause nothing to hinder the gospel. This wasn't an act of salvation, but taking away anything that may be an obstacle to the gospel. 
So circumcision in this case isn't an issue of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ being sufficient or not. This is about there being a barrier to Timothy's witness to the Jewish people. And we have to remember this, right? What was Paul's first thing? When he went into a city, the first place he went to was where? It was a synagogue. And if Timothy was one who was not circumcised, that would have created a barrier for the gospel being proclaimed to first the Jews, as Romans says. So what Paul is doing is taking away any barrier between his fellow Jews and this gospel. And I was, I'm like, I was reading this, and you know how I can be sarcastic and stuff. And I was thinking, Paul, there's got to be another way, right? There's got to be, and we'll get to that. But this isn't about obeying the ceremonial law. This isn't about saving Timothy. This is about proclaiming the gospel. And we don't want to create obstacles to people hearing the gospel. So Paul is taking them away. The Greek would have been offended by the message of the gospel anyways. The Jew would have been offended by the fact that Timothy was not circumcised. So they removed the barrier to the gospel. And Timothy was sacrificed. See, Paul and Timothy's love for Jesus and their obedience to the Great Commission and their love for others is what makes them do this decision as they sought to live for God and put others before themselves. And like I said, but Paul, there's got to be another way, right? Like, this is not exactly the most pleasing process to go through. And now I'm thinking about it as I think about it. I think about all the things that I allowed to be an obstacle to someone hearing the gospel in my own life. Here's Paul and Timothy circumcising this adult man. Not exactly the most physically pleasing act. And here I am whining and complaining about how comfortable I am. It's amazing how we can put our temporary comfort above the message of hope for a broken and lost people around us. It's amazing how often we think, you know, I'm not going to go talk to my neighbor because my lazy boy is just really calling my name right now. You know, I need to rush to get to lunch right now, and I'm going to neglect the conversation right now. I remember once, uh, this was in Burlington, and this hit me hard. My neighbors were, they were Muslim, they were from Pakistan, and that's a whole other culture of hospi- hospitality and, and relationships and community that we really don't get here in Canada. If you're Canadian, and I, and I remember them saying to me, where do you keep going? You're always rushing off to somewhere. And I went, man, they view me as a busy person, not someone that can just have a conversation with them. So what is it in your life that you've been putting up as an obstacle to proclaiming the gospel? It won't be circumcision and that view of sin, but maybe it's that view of sin in someone else's life that is hindering you from sharing the gospel. Maybe your neighbor put up that pride flag this month and you just have something that turned in your heart that says, I don't know about that. And it's keeping you from sharing with them the hope of the gospel. Because clearly that flag says, I need Jesus. It's a giant advertisement to the gospel. They need the gospel. Especially when the Bible speaks of pride being the source of all sin. How about, how about that 
fear of not being liked. You know, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to rub anyone wrong. Because we know that the gospel offends. The gospel says to someone, you're wrong, God is right. And we hate being told, I'm wrong, and somebody else is right. Men, we know this. Is there a barrier that you've been put in the way? In Galatians 5, verses 1 to 6, Paul urges very strongly against being circumcised. If someone, that is, uh, if someone believes that it is something that needs to be done in order to please God. But if the hope is to remove a barrier to someone hearing about the hope of Jesus Christ, Paul is willing to give any sort of cultural practice or preference. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we have even more? Nevertheless, he says, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. God forgive us when we do that. For the sake of the gospel, Paul and Timothy were, were becoming all things, as he says later on in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, to the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I think this really comes to this idea that we need to understand that hell is a real place and that it is deserved and that people were to die without Jesus Christ, that is where they go. And sometimes in our North American culture, we're willing to put comfort as an obstacle. And here's Paul, and Tim, well, not Paul really, but Timothy for sure, who's willing to do all things for the sake of the gospel. He's not compromising the gospel, right? Like this isn't talking about compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is about making me decrease and Christ increase. So, this isn't about, let's make sure that we don't create a barrier to someone hearing the gospel. Timothy's circumcision clears the obstacle that may have been there so that Paul and Silas and Timothy can go declare the good news of Jesus Christ. They remove the cultural barrier. And some people may begin to water down the gospel to make it a uh, appeasing or pleasing to someone else. That's not what Paul is doing, and that's not what we're doing. Because that creates cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer would say. The full gospel must be proclaimed. So let's not forget that the first thing that Paul did was enter into a town, and he went into those synagogues to preach the gospel, and Timothy not being circumcised would have been a barrier. And as we will see later, it's ultimately God who gives the heart that enables people to believe, taking away the ultimate barrier of our stone-cold hearts. Uh, just as much as our disputes should not hinder the gospel, what we heard about last week, we should examine ourselves to make sure that we aren't in the way of the gospel. As they go from city to cities in verses 4 to 5, they encourage them in the faith. And as they encourage uh, in their faith, their, the church's witness becomes stronger and the word of the Lord continues to increase. God's kingdom is, being, is growing and making disciples doesn't end with telling someone about Jesus. 
To tell someone about Jesus, to tell them the, the gospel is called evangelism. And it doesn't stop there because when God saves someone, when, when the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin and in need of a savior, when God calls people to himself, that's when we go and disciple them. And by God's grace, evangelism moves into discipleship. Evangelism is about making disciples and discipleship is about teaching people to obey all that they have Jesus has been commanded. So the mission of bringing the message about Jesus to the world is at the heart of this. And Paul sought to take away any obstacle that may get in the way of hearing the gospel. But what happens if the plan doesn't exactly go according to the plan? Right? What happens when there is an obstacle in the way? One that can't necessarily be removed. And that's what we see in verses 6 to 10. We see this mission kind of being stonewalled, at least Paul's. See, we need to keep in mind that the mission is, the mission is to bring the message about Jesus, that there is a holy God, that we have sinned against the holy God, and because we have sinned against God, the only thing that we deserve is hell. Okay, that's it. Let's leave it there. Okay, some of us whine and complain about things that we need or deserve. But the beauty of the gospel doesn't end there. God himself steps down from his throne to pay the price for our sin so that anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, for anyone who repents of their sin, believes that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient, will be saved. This is the mission, to bring the message about Jesus to the world. So if in the faithfulness of that mission, is it failure when roadblocks keep happening? I have a friend of mine who is a missionary, and actually I know a number of missionary stories like this. He, he, got, he got married, and they went to Zambia. They became missionaries, and they were in Zambia. Zambia didn't work out, so they moved to Ukraine. Well, Ukraine really didn't work out. And they moved to Quebec, and that's where they've been since. See, the mission is what dictates the faithfulness, not exactly where we end up being. Because faithfulness is not about success or failure because it's God who brings success. It's about being obedient. See, God clearly had another plan for, for Paul and his team. And maybe Paul was getting frustrated. We don't know, the text doesn't say, but maybe he starts saying, God, uh, don't you want me to be faithful? I, I keep trying to go to these places, but you keep, you know, doing something here, and I just can't get through this. What does mission faithfulness look like? So in verse 6, we see, so they go to the other regions, like Galatia, and, but having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and we don't know what this looks like, but we do know that at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit directs him to a 644-kilometer detour. That's a long walk. And what's interesting is we may think, but don't we need to hear, don't they also need to hear the gospel? Doesn't Asia also need to hear the gospel? But God is working. And I love God's word because he gives us insight into these things. Because in 1 Peter 1 verse 1, we see Peter actually writing to the church in Asia as God continues to work. And Paul continues to do something. 
He doesn't just sit around and kind of pout to himself. He knows that there's a mission. He knows that there's a mission to go and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. So he continues on that mission. Maybe it wasn't there, but then he moves to the next place. Maybe it's not there, so he moves on to the next place. He knows that the mission is and stays faithful to that mission. And they head off, they head off in verse 8 to Troas. And this is an Asian harbor with ships that would go to Macedonia. And the gospel hadn't been in Europe yet. And God had a plan to spread the message about Jesus to the ends of the earth. So in verse 9, we see that he gets this vision at night, and we don't know if he's sleeping or not, but we do know that Paul's faithfulness to the mission, and God directs him to where he wants to go. And he hears this voice of this, sees this man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And even though God had been blocking the direction that Paul was aiming to go, he makes it clear to him that he wants him to go to this place. And Luke wants us to see something very important. There's a difference between human purposes and divine purposes. Even Jesus' witnesses need to be patient as they struggle with the frustrations of their plans not happening the way that they want it to happen. We need to see that God is still working. This opportunity may not have made sense to Paul's view, but it did to God. And I'm reminded of passages like Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I feel like a lot of times our frustrations with our circumstances and our misinterpretation of that, or not even misinterpretation, just not even like, un, like completely neglecting it. When do you get frustrated? Well, I get frustrated when something's not going the way that I want. And you notice how it's not going the way I want, which is pride on my part, by the way. Our frustration is often rooted in thinking that God thinks the same way that we do. And that the things in our lives should turn out the way that we think they should. But Paul remained faithful to the mission, resting in God to do what he was called to do, which was to bring the message about Jesus. His priorities took the back seat to what God is doing. But Paul didn't get frustrated with the situation. He continued on with the mission, as we see in verse 10. And when Paul had seen this vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Interesting tidbit is the pronouns change here. So now Luke is actually with them. But, God, but Paul's goal was to go to the Roman province of Asia to bring the message about Jesus. But God had another plan, and he redirects him far from Asia into Europe. In all of this, Paul still remains faithful. He rests in God's sovereign will. He kept doing something. He didn't just sit and pout and twiddle his thumbs. He knew the mission, and he kept going. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. they say, right? You always look back at your life and go, man, I really wish I did it that way. For none of us, though, the future is not twenty twenty. We have no idea what the future holds. Paul didn't know what God was already doing, something great and amazing in Europe. 
in Philippi. That God had already been preparing the soil, the hearts of the people to be ready to receive the seed of the gospel. So in verses 11 to 15, we see this mission effectiveness. And Paul's faithfulness to the mission is not what makes it effective. The gospel spreads west, starting with Philippi. And this is an unknown place for the missionary team. They've never been there before. But if there is something we have to learn from this is that Acts... In, something to learn from Acts is that unreached people aren't an obstacle to God. So in verse 11 to 12, they set sail and they end up in Philippi. And Philippi is an important city in the northeast of Greece. And this letter that will be later written to the church of God that God would establish there is called Philippians. This was a this city was a great stop on a military highway which connected the Adriatic and the Aegean areas. And because it was a Roman colony, they got a lot of, you know, spiffy privileges. But God had a plan. And Paul didn't know about it, but he seeks to be obedient to what he did know. So on the Sabbath day, we see in verse 13, they didn't find a synagogue to go to, so they head back, they head to the next best place. They go to find a place of prayer, which might have been near the riverside. So they go down to the riverside to find this place. And they go and seek to have conversations with people. As I was reading this, I was actually thinking of Pastor Chris's ministry on Friday. They just go to the, go to the park and they seek to have conversations with people. That's all they're doing. Seeking to have conversations about the message about Jesus. Still, there might have been another stone wall to Paul's method, but he still seeks to be faithful. And the stone wall is that there's no synagogue to go to, so he goes and goes to the next best place. And he finds this person who, this woman who's a seller of purple goods, and I, I looked up how to make purple back in the Bible times, and it's disgusting. They would take these snails and boil them and then crush them. It's gross. Somehow that would make purple. You know, God's creativity. I don't know. The, the snail isn't even purple, by the way. But purple was a hot commodity back in the ancient, the day, ancient world. And this was a very expensive and took a long time to produce. So this woman is a very wealthy woman. And what's interesting is that the first convert in Philippi is a wealthy woman. And Jesus talked about how it's hard for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God because they have a harder time understanding that it's through grace that one is saved and nothing of themselves. But what we see here is that the wealthy are not out of God's reach either. See, there's no obstacle with God. She's a worshiper of God. And I'm reminded of what we learned about Cornelius in Acts 20 or Acts 10. She was probably a Gentile who followed the Jewish religion but wasn't royally quite fully con a convert. And then she begins to hear this message. And it's the Lord, as we see here, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. See, the church began with, with a believing rich Gentile woman who they met outside of the city because there was no synagogue, and God's sovereign providential hand is at work even here. 
God sovereignly controls salvation but uses human means to accomplish it. What I find amazing in Acts is over and over again we see who the active agent is in bringing someone to faith in Christ. And we see it very clearly here. It's our gracious God who opens the heart of someone so that they repent and believe the gospel. This is important for us because it's God who is powerful and does this. This should take a weight off of our going to our neighbors and teaching or seeking to do the gospel. Now think about all the times I've just stumbled over my words, right? I stumble over them all the time, especially when I'm tired. But you know what? It's God that works. I seek to be faithful. I seek to do the best I can with the gifts that I have, with the abilities of my am, and even get, seek to get better at it. But with all of that, is it me that can convince someone of their need of a savior? No. It is only God who can do that. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts of the need of a Savior, as John 6 says. This causes us to fall on our knees and pray. At least it should. To pray a lot. That's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're going to be praying for those who need Jesus who don't believe in who God is, uh, they can't see that they need a savior. So we pray that God would give them ears, enabling them to hear, that they would open their hearts so that they would be willing to receive the gospel, to believe the gospel. We are to be faithful. It is God who makes our witness effective. So what, you may ask? And here's the point. And we look at this all over the place. To be in God's will, we need to be living for God as we obey his word. We need to put others before ourselves. We need to seek to be holy and love Jesus in whatever we do. In life, you're going to be hit with a barrier every once in a while. And maybe you're there right now. You're kind of like hitting your head up against a wall sort of situation. Something's not going to go the way you planned. It might be the job interview, whatever it may be. In those moments, we need to understand that God is sovereign, which means he has the power to accomplish his will, but that he is also providential, which means that he has a design and a purpose for everything that is happening. We need to understand that God's ways are different than mine. They're different than yours but that there is no barrier to God as he sovereignly works to accomplish his will. We are the ones that feel we have the barrier, but we are called to just do something while resting in him. God has a purpose and a plan to what he is doing. There's this great little book that I used to, like back when I was a youth pastor, I used to give this book uh, called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. And I encourage you to read it. It's small, it's 60 pages. You could probably read it this afternoon if you wanted. Not me, but there's people here that could. <laughs> but there's, it's a great book that I used to give to, to high school kids because you know what happens in high school if you remember that far back? I don't know. The guidance counselor always comes and says, what are you going to do? Essentially asking this question, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? right? Uh, my daughter's in, she's going into grade 10, and, and she was like 
Dad, how in the world am I supposed to know what's going on for the rest of my life? I'm like, good question. Good question. You're not. Just seek to be faithful in that. But it was a question that always is asked. And I think it's a question that we all ask, no matter how old we are. I don't know what God's will is for my life. But in Acts 16, verses 1 to 14, we are learning about God's will and these three parts of that. God's will of decree and desire and design. We see God's will of decree that God is sought. Sorry, sovereign and predetermined plan over everything that happens in the universe. It encompasses God's eternal purposes and the unfolding of his divine plan in history. This is talking about how God's will cannot be thwarted or changed. Meaning God has a purpose and a design for all things. See, God guided and directed Paul's missionary journey. And brothers and sisters today, we can trust God's sovereign plan. Someone asked me once, or they asked me all the time, how did you know that you are supposed to be at Noah Baptist Church? My response is, I'm here. That's how I know I'm supposed to be here. It's not rocket science. I think we look at God and we think he's like Loki from Marvel. Like he's some mischievous God who's playing games with our heads. It's not like that. That's paganism, by the way. God has a decree. He has a will of decree. And we're so, we seek to be faithful in that. So Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We also see God's will of desire. This is God's moral will, his, his, his revealed will. And we have that right here. You want to know what God has called you to do and to be? Read your Bible. It's not, it's not rocket science. Read your Bible. Learn who God is and what he has dictated to you, what his desire is for your life. We know that his desire for your life, if you are in Christ, is to be holy as he is holy. So be that. We know his desire is for you to go and declare the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone that's in your life. So go do that. We know his desire is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So do that. God's will of desire in Micah 6, verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. By the way, we live in a world that's like counts out like the last clause, by the way. They literally quote Micah 6, 8a, and leave out the last part. But we also see God's will of direction. This is God's will when it comes to us making choices and decisions that we make in our everyday life. It involves seeking God's guidance and wisdom in specific situations and, and seeking to align our choices to God's moral will. See, God doesn't tell us every specific decision we should make. Like, hey, how many of you took like, way too much time to figure out what you're going to wear this morning? Right? <laughs> Peter, Peter's like, nah. 
God doesn't tell us specific decisions we should make, but he does provide us and promise us with wisdom and discernment and the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide us in making decisions that honor him. See, if I simply wake up in the morning and say, God, my prayer, God, I want to make much of you today. I want to glorify you today. That guides everything I do. For Paul, he, he, we see this as God direct, sorry, directs Paul's journey through specific circumstances. And Kevin DeYoung, in this book, he puts it this way, apart from the Spirit working through Scripture, God does not promise to us, sorry, to use any other means to guide us, nor should we expect Him to. Just do something. God guides us in decision-making but doesn't expect us to figure out every part of the plan for our lives ahead of time. That would be a very, as I said, sick and twisted game. And against God's character that we see in his word. So Paul didn't know, he just wanted to live for God and put others first. And you might be asking, well, pastor, what about the rest of my life? Like, I'm not, I understand we have a mission to go tell people about Jesus, but, you know, I'm trying to get a job. I want to get married, or I, I don't know what school to go to, or, you know, I don't know. Should I sell my house or buy? I don't know. Should I rent? I don't know. And I'll tell you the same. I'll tell you the exact same thing. If God's will works for Paul as he goes and spreads the message about Jesus, how much more for those other areas in their lives? If you're applying for a job or getting married or trying to figure out what university to go to or how to raise your kids or whatever it may be, read the Bible responsibly, seek wise counsel from godly people, pray for illumination, for wisdom, and what you will find is that you're in God's will. Being, God, being in God's will is by living for God as we obey his word, as we put others before ourselves, as we seek to be holy and love Jesus in everything that we do. And that's what Paul did. And he found that he was walking in the will of God. Let us pray. Awesome God, we just thank you for today and the chance that we have to worship you through the preaching of your word, through the listening of your word, through these songs, through the giving and tithing. Lord, I pray that we be a people that seek to live for you. That we would be a people that seek to be obedient to your word. That put other people above ourselves. That seek to be holy as you are holy. And, and love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul. And that we would do these things in every area of our lives, Lord. Just as Paul sought to do, may we do that as well. It is then that we will find that we are in your will. Amen.